Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon you and donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can give as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast and one year's membership to the ALPO. You can help us out by going to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, visit us on the internet at alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this here podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now... Episode 96 with John O'Neill, and we're going to talk about how do you plan for an evening's night at the telescope. Sounds exciting. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook Podcast. Today we have a special guest, John O'Neill, ALPL member and uh, all-around great amateur astronomer. Welcome to the podcast, John. Oh, thank you, Tim. Oh, and by, by the way, I just got my uh, new Alpo card, my re-enlistment card, so you're going to have to put up with me for another year. Oh, fantastic. I like that. Uh, more <laughs> the merrier. That's All right. $18 a year for you listeners, too. So yeah. <laughs> um, so why, before we get into it, why don't we just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Oh, okay. Well, I, I'm an amateur astronomer. Uh, I like to do Imaging is my is my main thing in astronomy. I, I like to take pictures of the night sky. I like to take pictures of the sun and the planets. And every pretty much everything I do revolves around that. Uh, I also do a lot of public outreach. Well, up to this February, when everything came to a screech and halt because of the COVID virus. Uh, but in a nutshell, that's pretty much it. Just a average Joe, uh, amateur astronomer, having a great time and enjoying it. That's good. Now, uh, this topic we're going to talk about today, planning your nightly observing session. I, mean, I follow you on Facebook, and like, it seems like every day you're posting images from the night before. So you're obviously very active with observing every night. And so what... Well, it, what 
What's, Every night that I can. <laughs> true, true. So what first sparked your interest in astronomy? Well, I think it had a lot to do with the world at the time that I was a child. I was born in 1954, so I was becoming conscious of the world in the early 60s. And, of course, we all know what was going on then. We had the space race going on with mm-hmm. Russia and uh, we, our president, 1963, uh, came on TV and announced that we're going to put men on the moon within a decade. And uh, we had rocket launches in, well, it's not Kennedy Space Center. It is now, but back then it was called Cape Canaveral down mm-hmm. in Florida. And there was just a lot going on in science and scientific endeavors, uh, as far as people exploring the oceans and the heavens and all our natural world. So uh, astronomy was the thing that I think caught my attention the most. Uh, I was one of those kids that always was asking questions, you know, well, yeah. what is, what is the sun and what is the moon and what, what are stars? And, you know, I'd ask my parents and my aunts and uncles and cousins questions like that and none of them knew the answers and you couldn't google it <laughs> no there was there was no no internet out there so in fourth grade i met uh mr wright my science teacher and he said i'm going to answer all your questions i'm going to tell you what the sun and the moon and the stars are and that just that just fired me up and <laughs> got me started i guess Wow, so that's basically the person that influenced you to get involved in astronomy? Yes. Fantastic. Now, you have a number of telescopes. What was your very first? Oh, my very first. I'll never forget that scope. Matter of fact, I still own it some 50 years later. Um, It was a Sears and Roebuck (laughs) 60-millimeter refractor that I bought at an auction house. Hmm. Uh, I saved up my pennies from my paper route and working at the local store. I had $15 in my pocket. I went to the auction that day resolving that if they had a telescope, I was going to buy one. (laughs) And I got it for seven bucks. Wow. So that's going to become the finder scope on this new scope that I'm building right now. It's a five-inch F10. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, You're a refractor guy, aren't you? Uh, I am. I am. I really like refractors. They're pretty versatile instruments. Uh, but I, I like the other scopes, too. I like the Ritchie Crichtons, the reflectors. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think when it comes down to it, the ones that get used the most are the refractors. Okay. So what's your current equipment? Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> we have two hours uh, if you want to spend that. <laughs> My wife's not behind me, so I guess I can go into this. (laughs) No, I've got less than a dozen, I'd say. Uh, I've got an 8-inch Astrotech Imaging Newtonian. Mm. I've got a 6-inch Ritchie Crichton. Nice. uh, 6-inch, 5-inch, 4-inch, 3-inch, 2-inch refractors. (laughs) I've got the James Van Solar Prominence Telescope out Ooh, in my shed. Oh, my. Yeah, I'm still working on that. It's, it's a pretty complex instrument, and all the parts haven't come quite together yet for it. 
to be finished. Right. And I'm building a spectroheliosope. I remember seeing parts of that, yeah, on your Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy the telescopes. And the, the thing for me is it's like, uh, if I can give an analogy, consider a auto mechanic. You know, he's got a box of tools. Mm-hmm. And each tool has a purpose and a different size and a different dimension to do different things. And for astronomical imaging, you need the right tool for the job as well as an auto mechanic does. So I've got long focal length scopes, short focal length scopes, medium focal length (laughs) scopes, large aperture scopes, small aperture scopes. So no matter what I want to take an image of, I've pretty much got it covered at this point. Yeah, weren't you also uh, doing you, radio? You didn't realize, though, I didn't buy, you know, I didn't just go out and buy a dozen telescopes. You know, this is this is stuff we've accumulated. Well, you know, you're you're about my age. Right. This is stuff we've accumulated over a lifetime. You know? Right. Uh, this is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, weren't you also dabbling in radio astronomy? I thought you were. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I I built. Let's see. One, two, <laughs> three different radio telescopes. Uh, one is a soup a super SID receiver, which is really cool. This thing sits here twenty four seven, and it monitors ionization of the atmosphere. So we all know if there's a huge solar frontal mass ejection on the sun, it sends ions into our atmosphere, which ionize the particles in our atmosphere. And my solar telescope sits here and monitors the ionization. So when you see a sudden peak in the ionization and a gradual coming back to normal, you know we've been hit by a, wow. by a coronal mass ejection. So my computer sits here and gathers this stuff up 24-7, and then every day it sends a chart to Stanford University, and that's how they monitor solar activity on the sun by citizen scientists all over the world accumulating this data and sending it to them. That's awesome. That's very cool. And let's see, the, uh, the other telescope was a, uh, it's called the Itty Bitty Radio Telescope. And if you Google that, you can find plans to make your very own itty-bitty radio telescope. (laughs) And basically, it's a uh, satellite dish and a satellite dish receiver, signal strength receiver. And when you point it at the sun, it recognizes the radiation coming from the sun and causes your meter to move and a little beep to sound. So it's nice to take this stuff to outreach events and let kids drive it around the sky and point it at the sun and see that when they point at the sun, something happens. It's so you know they're they're getting to do science firsthand. I think that's pretty cool. That is that is wow. Now, having all of this equipment, what's the first thing you do when you decide you're going to go out tonight at the telescope? You have a plan? Uh, I do. I do. Uh, very first thing is the weather. Weather is critical to me, especially, you know, maybe not so much if you're imaging. You can get through some uncomfortable experiences just looking and observing. But for imaging, you want to have, you want to make sure there's no clouds in the sky anywhere. You want to make sure your seeing's good. 
your transparency is good. You don't want to go out imaging if you've got the jet stream overhead because that's going to create shear in your images and it's just going to play general havoc with you. So the very first thing I do is check the weather. And used to be back in the day, we all used uh, the clear sky clock, mm-hmm. which was a really good weather information site, but it's set to specific locations. So if my specific location is set up to the south of me and the weather's coming out of the north, well, then that station doesn't do me much good. <laughs> so now, now we've got a couple really nice weather programs out there. One's called Mateo Blue, okay, and the other one's called Astrospherics. And these programs allow you to look at the weather at your house. Uh, you're not looking 20 miles down the road or 50 miles in an opposite direction. You're looking at your house and seeing what is going on there. And I've had this thing tell me it's going to rain in 10 minutes, and in 10 minutes, by golly, it started raining. So huh. wow. it, it's pretty accurate for the most part okay sometimes it's not real accurate but mostly astrospheric and mateo blue are and then you've got all the noaa excuse me weather links you can go to there's a lot of places go and get weather but once i get the weather reports and decide okay i'm going out then it's time to start deciding okay what am i going to look at tonight what do i want to image and well, from experience, I know what's pretty much in the sky every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you understand, Tim. You've been around a long time. Uh, we just know what's in the sky because we've been watching it for 40 years, and we know right. that you got a bunch of fixed objects that every April, Leo's going to be rising at dusk. Right. <clears throat> every November, December, Orion's going to be rising us we we know these things and so we sort of have a generalization a good idea what's up there to look at okay uh like right now i i encourage anybody that wants to go out and see some really fun stuff uh leo is getting near zenith at dusk uh it's not quite there yet but it's close Go out and look for galaxies. There, there are tons and tons and tons of galaxies in Leo. Uh, and some of them are pretty pretty bright. Yeah. And they're well within the range of small telescopes. So if you've got any kind of a telescope, go on out and search around galaxy and or Leo, I'm sorry, and look for galaxies. Uh, same with planets. We know that Venus is the only bright planet in the sky right now, the rest are all up in the morning. So, uh, but how, how does the people that don't just already know this figure it out? And for them there, there, there's quite a bit of stuff out there. Uh, there's a lot of apps, uh, you can download onto your phone. Uh, I think I got some written down here. Uh, yeah, Sky and Tell has an interactive software suite on the web. Astronomy Magazine has a website, Celestron, mm-hmm. uh, Orion Telescopes. Uh, all these places have uh, sites where you can go and they'll, they'll 
show you what's in the sky tonight. And that, that's a real good place for a beginner to go and look, look at the sky. And you can actually tell it, show me what's in the south or in the west or the east or the north in case you only have one horizon available to you. If you've got a bunch of trees around your house and you right. can only see one direction, you, you can tell these programs, I want to look east, for example, and it'll show you what's up in the east. So uh, a lot of them are really intuitive. They're easy to use. Now, you like, you like to photograph you know, galaxies and clusters and things like that as well. Uh, if you went out last night and did some photography, and if you're going out tonight, are you going to shoot the same things or are you going to look for something different? I would. Well, if I was happy with what I did last night, I'll go for something different tonight. Okay. Uh, if I shot something last night, like uh, I was shooting M51 last week, and I got some nice images, but there's still a lot of noise in, in them. So. Okay. Uh, I need to capture more signal, more light, more images of M51 in order to improve my image. So some nights I'll go back out and shoot the same things over and over. Or sometimes, depending on what I'm doing, I'll shoot different focal lengths. For instance, last just last month, we had Venus transit through the Pleiades. Mm-hmm. And that was great. Uh, but I shot it like at a real wide exposure so I could get the entire Pleiades in. Okay. Uh, then I shot it at a, you know, the next night I went out and shot it zoomed way in. So you could actually see Venus and only a little portion of the Pleiades, but it, it gave you a different perspective on it. Okay. So, so you plan, you plan those in your question. Uh, no, you ahead. you plan those things ahead of time, though. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so it sounds like you also plan around astronomical events, like Venus going through the Pleiades. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, how much time do you spend in your planning stages? Uh, not a lot. I mean, I'll, I'll spend. Well, one nice thing, Tim, I, I've set up a series of macros on my computer <laughs> and I can just step through them. So it's like, I start with the weather. I hit astrospherics. I go to Mateo blue. I go to the NOAA site. I look at the jet stream. I look at the seeing and the aerosol depth in the sky. Uh, after I look at that, then I go to what's up tonight in case there's some sort of an event that's like okay. short lived that I can only see tonight. Right. Uh, and then I'll go into the more or less generalizations. Okay, what's up in the entire sky tonight? And some sometimes I can get through all that in five or ten minutes. Sometimes it takes a little longer, it, especially if like I don't see anything that I really want to image that night. Or let's say I've got the eight-inch Newtonian set up in the observatory right now. I'm going to look for objects to match that telescope. Okay. So it's got, it's got a lot of aperture and a wide, fast field of view. So I'm going to be looking for big objects with a lot of fine details that I can resolve with the eight inches of aperture, but have a wide enough field of view with that fast, short focal length to fit everything in. Okay. 
Whereas if I've got the six inch Richie Crichton, it's got a real long focal length. I'm going to look for more for items more like planetary nebula right. or the ring nebula. Things that uh, you have to little, are, put a little power on. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. It, but uh, yeah, I normally don't spend a lot of time planning. Uh, it sounds like you've got your routine pretty much down too. Plus you, you've been doing it so long, you know, it's in the sky tonight without yeah. using a planetarium software to figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, are there uh, other tools you use? Um, yeah, there are. Let's see. I, I wrote a couple things down here. If I can find them. Oh yeah. The, the phone app. Uh, there's a lot of, well, whether you got an iPhone or an Android or whatever you got, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of programs. Uh, to list a few, there's Star Tracker. Star Tracker is real nice. Uh, Celestron has a site called Sky Portal. Okay, that's very user friendly. Uh, uh, if you're searching for anything in particular, you you can get into the programs like uh, International Space Station detector right. uh heavens above where that'll tell you when there's going to be site. it is uh heavens above you you have to give it your location and then it'll tell you when things are going to be going right over your house like the space station or the starlink satellites or uh just about any other thing that might be transiting your house it can tell you about it uh astro calendar is nice it lists objects by date that are going to be happening for the whole year so i i keep a eye on that i check it at least monthly uh just to keep track of well when's the next meteor shower coming or uh what are the planets jupiter saturn the bright planets going to be transiting anything of note that i might want to take a picture of yeah, when you're doing astroimaging, it's a lot like regular photography. Uh, sometimes just taking a picture of Jupiter isn't enough. Uh, for instance, when the when Venus transited the Pleiades last week, it's like everybody in the world was out <laughs> taking pictures of that. Right. Uh, so if you go out and you take the same picture that a million other people did, well, what's the chances of people looking at your picture and liking it any better than any of the others? Because they all look the same. Mm-hmm. So I try to find a hook, something okay. <laughs> that'll make my picture stand out. All right. Uh, and that, that's one of the reasons I did a six-panel mosaic of Venus and the Pleiades, because... I could zoom in and get a, a whole lot of detail, but still get the entire Pleiades in there. So, you know, I always try to find something different and Good. something exciting and unusual that will catch people's imagination. Yeah, I see a lot of astrophotos come across my screen and Facebook and things like that, but I've always stopped and look at yours because you're always focusing on it's like the right thing. Oh, thank you. I, I try. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Now, how many hours do you spend at the telescope during an evening? Well, that's a loaded question there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in the day when we had film cameras, I spent oh. many, many, many long hours at 
on any given night at the eyepiece of the telescope, hand guiding, because that's how we did it back then. Right. Uh, today, everything's pretty much automated. So I go out to the observatory, open everything up, plug the camera into the laptop, and tell it, okay, take uh, 150 pictures of this, take uh, 15 darks, take 15 flats, take 15 you know, calibration frames, and then the camera gets busy, and I have nothing to do. So <laughs> recently, I went out and bought a Dobsonian. Really? Uh, I bought a 10-inch Mead. Uh, I think they're called Light Bridge Telescopes. Okay. It's a truss tube 10-inch Mead. And I bought that. And now, while I'm not busy tracking, I'm just sitting there at the observatory with nothing to do. I'll pull that Dobsonian out of the shed and I'll go out and do some observing. Uh, there you go. And I'm really enjoying it. Uh, guys used to tease me and say that John O'Neill doesn't even own an eyepiece. He never looks through <laughs> telescopes. <laughs> I've, I've heard a lot of astronomers don't own eyepieces anymore. And it's that, that bothers me. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> well, it's like I'm a kid in a candy store again. Uh, I've been doing this for, uh, five decades now and i'm just to the point where i'm starting to look through telescopes and i'm having a great time that's great that's great yeah that's a i've dabbled with astrophotography in my life and i've got the equipment to do it but it's just like i just like putting my eye to the eyepiece and seeing what seeing what's there with my own eye and you know if i want an astrophoto i'll go download one off the internet (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you're you're in a large group of people. Uh, I know many many people. Uh, I belong to several astronomy clubs because I like it so much. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I know lots of people that are amateur astronomers, and I'd say that a very large percentage of them are strictly observers only. And I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think no. it's cool. Uh, you know, there there's a lot of niche. Uh, avenues in astronomy uh, some guys are into double stars uh yeah. my golly i i know a guy i think he knows in his head where every single double star in the sky is and what magnitude both components are and what color each star is and i mean how these guys fill their head with all that knowledge stay sane is beyond <laughs> me but they do it and yeah <laughs> and yeah. they're really really good at it yeah well that's the uh, nice thing so, about a, a, amateur astronomy you can there's so many different avenues. Yes. You could be int- and keep yourself busy. Yes. You can just measure double stars every night. And that's a whole thing in itself. You could observe the planets every night or galaxies or do astrophotography. Yep. Do magnitude estimates of objects. I mean, it's just the whole the hobby's amazing. I mean, it really oh, is. It's yeah. just there's something for everybody. And then you get the guys, uh, I don't know if you know Kevin Kevin Cobble. Uh, mm. uh a lot of citizen scientists type okay. guys that are out there doing real stuff like asteroid occultations. And, okay. Uh, you know, it's, you can get as deeply into this hobby as you want to. Oh yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of room to do a lot of different things and that's, yeah. that, that's what's so amazing to me about it. And uh, the thing is, and you actually, you can do actual science, like what you do with, with, uh, you know, measuring the, 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 uh, coronal mass ejections coming in. I mean, that's, that's science. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
And, and that's something I can contribute and do without having to sit in front of a computer all day working at it. You know, it just, once you get it set up, it just happens. Yeah. Now you so take that. That's yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You're going to take images during the evening. How much post-processing time does, do you actually spend on, on the images? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I spend a lot of time working on each individual image. <clears throat> so you figure if you're doing lucky imaging, if you're out there taking lots and lots and lots of pictures to make one image out of, uh, I may spend four or five or six hours out there capturing images. And then I come in and I have to do a lot of gyrations to those images to process them. And I could spend four or five or six hours on each one. Uh, if things are good, you know, if we don't have Starlink satellites going through the image or a helicopter fly through with flashing lights and all this good stuff that happens and clouds rolling in. And if you don't have none of that, it's pretty straightforward process. And I can process an image in sometimes as little as half hour to an hour. Okay. Uh, other times takes me, like I said, four or five or six hours. If I got a lot of work to do, if I got a lot of noise in the image, uh, but the fortunate thing is I can only take one or two images per night if I'm shooting four or five or six hours right. on one image. So <clears throat> that means I only have two images to process the next day. So. <laughs> That's true. So I feel comfortable spending as much time as I need to get, get the job done right. Okay. Now, do you document your observing sessions? You know, I wish I did. I don't. I used to as a young man and back before, you know, we didn't have computers back in the day. We didn't right. have internet. So I carried a steno tablet out in the field with me. And at every observing session, I wrote down what time I got there, who else was there with me, what we did, what images we shot and what we looked at and, you know, magnitude estimates, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And I kept it all in log <clears throat> and I still have those logs. Yeah, and and it's so wonderful to go back and look and say, "Oh, look here! I went out with these three guys. They're gone now, but yeah, our our memories of going out that night are right here recorded in my log." So yeah, I, I wish I still did that, and more people did that. Yeah, I, I've got I've got stacks of logs that I've done when I was younger, and it was interesting when I when I first thought about doing this podcast, I I, I struggled with coming up with the name, and I'm sitting at my desk and I look over. I see all my notebooks and on the front of them, it says observer's notebook. And I went, uh, ah, well, there you go. There's a good name, you know, well, I'm like, it's just, it's just, it's just, and it, to me it fits too. Cause that's what we, this, yes. that's what this podcast is. You know, it's, it's exactly, it's, it was kind of serendipitous how it just popped into my, I, I, I glanced over my desk and there they were. And I'm like, Oh, Okay, that's that was easy. <laughs> yeah, but wow. but for if you were just starting out, I mean, I, would you recommend someone do a notebook? I would definitely, definitely, absolutely. It's it's great to look back on, and there's times uh, I've had this happen myself uh, before I started using. I use Backyard EOS now with my Canon. And Backyard EOS 
is real nice. It keeps an EXIF file with all your data in it. And I can look at that information and know, okay, I shot this at this t- exact moment okay. on this date with this camera and this telescope and these filters, and it records all that information. So I kind of don't need a logbook. Mm-hmm. It's all there if I want to go back and dig the information out. But there's times when I go out and I'm not using that program I'll just be shooting from the hip, and then later on, it's like, okay, what did I shoot again last night? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's a, like I said, I'm not an astrophotographer. I'm a visual guy. So my notebooks, I mean, it's it's filled with sketches, you know, date, time, scene conditions, uh, transparency, all that yes. kind of, you know, what telescope, what eyepieces, what color filters I used. It's just, I would keep all my notes that way, and then I could go back later and say, yeah, what was that night that I saw that weird thing on the moon, and scan back through it and i mean i i I still do that today i still do that today oh that's great that's great yeah i would highly encourage people to do that just Uh, some kind of record of what you saw yeah it's a great historical archive and it's something that you never know 10 years down the road they may say somebody might come out and say you know what there was a supernova in cygnus Mm -hmm. last uh two decades ago and we're looking for anybody that shot that area at that time. Well, if you got your log books, you can go back yep. through and say, Hey, I just happened to be shooting there that night. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Look, I got a picture of that supernova. That's true. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very beneficial. It's, it's a great idea. Now, do, do you have any examples of when you had a plan, it was locked in, you knew what you wanted to do and somehow it went off track because of optical or hardware or you just got sidetracked because of something you saw or did it does it does yeah um i i think probably the most extreme cases one night we were all this when i still lived in ohio and we were all going up the lake erie because you got four miles of lake there with no lights in it so Mm -hmm. it makes a great dark north and so we were going up there to take pictures and we got there and Aurora came on. Oh. So it's like, well, that observing plant shot. <laughs> we're all, we're all shooting Aurora tonight. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a nice thing to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. And other times things not so nice mm. happen. Uh, I, I can't think of a particular instance off the top of my head, but, you know, there are always things that go bump in the night. Something doesn't work or right. especially when you're doing imaging and you're using a computer and uh, your laptop got updated that day and the new update doesn't like your imaging software. So, uh, <laughs> it's uh, like, yeah, why couldn't I have found this out earlier Yeah, and fixed it while I was in the house in the middle of the day? Now I'm out here under a beautiful clear sky and you don't like my software so then it's like okay it's time for plan b let's you know let's go get a different software that might not be so good for what we were planning on doing but it'll work for something else so let's just yeah. change the plan up totally now you just yeah, pull the dobs now you pull the dobsonian out and say screw that i'll fix it in the morning and yeah. i'll just use the dob there you go <laughs> <laughs> wow that's fun so if someone new, we have a lot of new listeners, uh, wants to get in this, into astronomy, what are some tips you give, give someone that's just starting out? 
Okay, well, I've always said, and I'll stick to this, I think, forever. Uh, If you're going to go out and look at the stars, the best gear that money can buy is what you have right now. (laughs) If all you have is a pair of 7 by 35 binoculars, well, by golly, you know what? You can see a whole lot with 7 by 35 yes, binoculars. Uh, I've used, I had a pair of 7 by 35 binoculars that my grandpa gave me when I was a kid, and I used them things a lot. And there is just so much you can see up there. Looking at the Mellet 20 area in Persis or the Double Cluster or M13 in Hercules, even the Orion Nebula, the Pleiades. They're all fantastic objects and a small pair of binoculars or one of the little $150 uh, little refractors that you buy at Walmart and stuff. Well, 60 millimeter uh, I, like we both started out with. Yeah, like that. You know, I wouldn't recommend you go buy one of those, but if, right. if you have one, use it. Use it. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the best gear in the world is what you happen to have. Uh, yeah, it does no good sitting in your closet. Yeah. And I, matter of fact, that's that's one of the reasons I have so many telescopes. Uh, I find it easy to buy telescopes. I find <laughs> it very difficult to sell them. <laughs> Me too. Because I know. Know, I know that someday down the road, I'm going to find a use for that piece of gear. So... It's going in my shed, and it's going to stay there until I need it again. Yeah, I've I've only sold one telescope in my life, and that was my Dynascope RV6. And I've kicked Uh, myself in the butt every day since then. You had a good one. I did. I had a a good one. And it was just, it was the first telescope I ever bought. I was in high school, and I spent my entire, I think I made $200 that summer. And that's how much the telescope cost me. Wow. And it was just, and I sold it, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I'm like, why did I do that? I just really, really. Uh, Dynascope was a unique scope. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they had poor quality control. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people loved them, said they're the best thing they've ever bought. Other people hated them to high heaven. Yeah. <laughs> the optics yeah. were good on this. The drive was pretty twitchy. Oh, uh, okay. On, on mine, yeah. I was always playing with the gears. Yeah, and other other people claim they like the mount, but the optics were terrible. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it. But it it was a good scope. I'll, I'll never forget that one. It was now astronomy books. Do you uh-huh. have some on your shelf that you've completely worn the binding out of? And what are those? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think first and foremost is my Norton's Star Atlas. Oh, okay. My golly, that thing. I've got probably eight layers of tapes on the binding. <laughs> <laughs> the pages are all yellowed. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, like like we were discussing earlier, before computers and stuff, uh, you would have to write a letter to the International, what was it, Astronomy Bulletin Company or whatever it was. I, I forget the name. Uh, but you would have to write them and ask them to send you comet printouts. Oh, yeah, and I think I think, would, I, I think I sent them postcards or something like that, and they would attach something to them or some or send them yeah. self-addressed envelopes. And yep, 
Yeah, yeah the International Astronomical Bulletins, I think it was yeah. called. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, they would send you printouts, and then I would get my postcard, and I'd sit down with my Norton Star Atlas, and I would plot yep. the comet in pencil on that map. And at first, I thought, well, I don't want to ruin my map. So I started erasing it. No. But then after a while, it's like I started realizing – Oh, look, I forgot all about that comet. Look, yeah. there it is on my atlas. <laughs> yeah, that's a history <laughs> so right there. I started leaving them, and now my, my atlas is just filled with lines and uh, dates. And <laughs> I did the exact same thing. That's just funny. That's just funny, yeah. Because uh, yeah, that, that, that's how we found our way around the sky. Yeah. That's before yeah. computer-controlled we telescopes. And, yeah, we were star hopping. Exactly yep. right. Uh, the, other, the other books of note... Uh, was the AAVSO's series of handbooks. I think there were like seven of them. Okay. And then there was uh, the old favorite, the Burnham's Celestial uh, Handbooks. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, where I've are got, my, I know I've got those somewhere. <laughs> oh, everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking around my library. I don't see them here. They might be in the storage. Yeah. yeah, I got a set in the house that I use only in the house, and it's pretty dog-eared and mm-hmm. beat up. The one out in the observatory, it's it's crumbling at this point. It, yeah. It's falling apart. That was one of the things I used to do when I was imaging and the computer was just sitting there taking care of everything. I would just sit there and go through the handbooks yeah. and say, oh, look, this looks interesting. I'm going to write this down because it's not available for me to image right now but it will be in february so i'll write it down and put it on my calendar for next february Hmm. that's cool yeah it's there's a lot of good books out there but you mentioned some very very good ones now i have a lot i have i've got one three bookshelves in here filled with astronomy books (laughs) that's great love it love it so is there any additional information you want to share with our listeners about planning your observing sessions or what you do during them or about yourself? Uh, well, no, I think we pretty well covered it. Just, uh, just go on the internet, go, go find some of the websites I mentioned, uh, tra- travel around and find stuff. Probably uh, the most important thing I can say about it is join an astronomy club. If, if you're a beginner and you don't know your way around, join an astronomy club, go to meetings, and there's going to be a lot of old geezers there with gigantic <laughs> telescopes that love to talk and love to share and will help you out a lot, give you all the guidance you might ever want. Uh, I fondly remember when I was... I think I was 18 years old, and I heard that there was an astronomy club in our county. It was clear at the other end of the county, but, you know, I started attending meetings, and th- there were these old boys with the old uh, pipe mount right. uh, telescopes. Everything was homemade. They ground their own mirrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they designed all the electronics for their scopes, and these old guys had more wisdom. Yeah. They've, they've forgotten more than I'll probably ever know about yeah. telescopes. And they took me under their wing and uh, 
they taught me how to do outreach and how to reach people and how to enjoy the night sky. And the stuff that I share today is all because of the stuff they shared with me 50 years ago. That's true. And so, you do, you do a lot of outreach too, don't you? Well, I did up until February. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do. I, I usually, uh, we, Dorothy and I travel all over the U S wherever we can to star parties. Uh, I belong to, I think, seven different astronomy clubs, and they all have me give presentations two or three times a year. So I, 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 I get around. I, I do what I can. Uh, I try to reach as many people as possible. Kind of like someone jokingly said, if you teach your kids to love astronomy, they'll never have the time or money to go out do drugs or <laughs> or become alcoholics or anything like go. that because they're too busy doing astronomy that's true yeah alcohol uh, ruins a night vision yeah <laughs> <laughs> funny uh, all right john well this has been fun it has i, I always enjoy chatting with you yeah uh, now if people seems, want to, if it people want to, more like just a conversation amongst friends that's, anymore when we do interviews than it does doing an interview so well that's good to hear because that's my goal i want to make Great. it just as as informal a conversation as possible just to have have a good time now people want to get a hold of you how do you recommend them do that um i have a website uh it's called nc stargazer uh since i live in north carolina the okay. nc course stands for north carolina stargazer and just go to ncstargazer.com and You'll find my links there. You'll find many of the programs that I've done in the past. Uh, I, I record a lot of them, or they get recorded somehow, and I post them up on my YouTube channels. Or, uh, but I have a on the website. I, I list all my programs and all my talks and okay. articles that I've written. And my email address is there. My Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Uh, everything's there so okay i will add a link in the show notes to your web page where everybody can get a hold of you and see what you're up to all right great all right john well it's been a pleasure uh, thank you it has been too i i enjoyed it a lot and i hope we'll do it again sometime uh, we will stay healthy my friend all right you too buddy bye-bye right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Observer's Notebook. I again want to thank John O'Neill for coming on and talking to us about observing and how he sets up an evening's observing section. I hope session. I hope you all enjoyed it. We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. Uh, you can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and that little box that listens to you inside your house. Yes, the Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. Saying that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, uh, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer 
for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is down below in the show notes. If you have podcast suggestions or comments or anything, you can drop me an email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening, and please stay healthy, my friends. <laughs>